Hi, everyone. Hi, guys. Welcome to a special episode of Wicked, Weird, and Grim, your number one podcast for a trip through the history of the odd, haunting, and mystifying. I'm Ara. And I'm Caroline. Together, we're the Grim Sisters. So this episode is pretty special for just a couple of reasons. So we actually have a couple firsthand experiences to share from some of my friends and from just some locals that I asked if they had any ghost stories. And I think that's pretty cool. So we'll see about that. We haven't really come out with any episodes leading up to this. So hopefully this one is scary and realistic enough for you guys because literally like firsthand experiences. And then the third special thing is one half of us is recording live from Scotland, which is I'm the half that is recording from Scotland. So, yeah. So in honor of Ara being in St. Andrews, Scotland, we are discovering all of the hauntings and ghosties in St. Andrews. Yeah. And I'm excited. I'm also scared. Honestly, I was researching this all yesterday. I went through a lot of the annex and archives in St. Andrews that has a lot of like the actual documents from the witchcraft trials from different periods in history. And I'm so dedicated. Well, you know, this is kind of like something I'm interested in anyways. So yeah, it was a two for one deal. But reading all of these horror stories and these ghost stories and these like horrific accidents. And then I had to walk home and at dusk by myself past some of the areas that this happened to. And unfortunately, I or fortunately, I don't know, both. I live right across from the cathedral ruins, so (laughs) it's like I I can't escape it. And all last night, we're having like a twilight screening, and I just kept glancing out the window right at like the tower that we're going to talk about today, so... (laughs) Yeah, so starting off, there is so much haunted history in Scotland, but especially in St. Andrews. It's called the most haunted place in Scotland, and it holds the title for the most haunted place in the world for its size. Which I don't know how you actually, like, quantitatively measure that. Yeah. But, you know, that's what was was told to me, and that's what it said online, so I I put it down, so. Yeah, I think Scotland is just kind of kind of full of ghosts because they say that about edinburgh too that it's like the most haunted city in the world so yeah just living literally across from the cathedral ruins i live in the oldest area of st andrews i live in a building built in the 1400s all the ghost tours in the area start or end exactly where i live so that's so cool there's quite a few things we can talk about so we're gonna start with the scottish witchcraft trials yeah, there were more than just a few of them in St. Andrews. <laughs> there were there so was many. an alarming amount of uh, yeah. witchcraft trials here. I wouldn't even call them trials, in all honesty, but like, witchcraft They weren't fair at all. No, not at all. I actually went through and listed out a lot of them from the annuals. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And a lot of different documents, especially the Scots cases of witchcraft. I documented some of them from Fife, which is the general county we live in. And then specifically St. Andrews, which is what's called our presbytery, which stems from like Presbyterian. Presbyterian. Yeah. So quite a few in Fife, quite a few more in St. Andrews. It's a mix between females and males, but for the most part, I would say it's pretty dominant with females, in St. Andrews at least, which is nothing new. 
And we have basically time spans from around, I believe, the 1560s to the mid-1700s. So quite a long time frame and quite a few really horrific cases. Honestly, all of them are horrific, but some of them are just like, they stick in your mind. So the first two documented individuals convicted and executed for witchcraft were in 1569 in the Presbytery of St. Andrews. They were male and of some station. So the first was Nick Neville, and he was described as a known sorcerer and was brunt, which we assume that that means burnt at the stake. Wasn't sure. Was not sure. (laughs) Old English. You never know. Is it old English or just a misspelling and I didn't have autocorrect? Like, you never know. (laughs) I think sometimes those kind of words, they just have like faded out of use. Because I don't know. I feel like I see words like that a lot in history stuff. But yeah, anyway, he was the first one. And then there was also this guy and he, he had a title. He was Lion, King of Arms, William Stewart. And he was hanged for being convicted of divers' points of witchcraft and necromancy. We think that this means diverse. I just typed it how it was put, but... Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think it means diverse. Otherwise, this man was, like, diving in the sea and doing, like, sea witchcraft and stuff. Which, I mean, the ocean's right there, so it makes sense. Channeling (laughs) Ursula. Either way. But yeah, so they were accompanied by a group of witches of unknown sex, which were tried and executed in 1569. And some of like the saddest parts about a lot of this documentation is that there are very specific people listed, but at the same time, whole groups of people were just listed as, quote, some witches, quote, certain witches, quote, certain people. And there's also a lot of unlisted names as well, just unknown female, unknown female, four women, unknown female. So not even having like the decency to record their names or have any sort of legacy for them, which I almost think is worse than if their names are put down because, you know, there's no way to remember them, honor them, or in any way acknowledge that they had this hardship and this horrible thing happened to them. So yeah. I would imagine part of the the difficulty too with like in terms of like history and archaeology finding out their names is that these people were definitely not going to be buried in a cemetery. They were probably put in like unmarked graves somewhere oh, yeah. because they weren't allowed to be on consecrated grounds. Yeah. Um, and the documents I was referencing were all written in court or by magistrates or like privy councils. So it was literally that these people didn't record their names not having an actual grave for them or anything like that you like you don't even have acknowledgement of them being condemned to death or anything so it's just sad yeah additional interesting cases was one of the male archbishop sharp in the 1700s being accused of being a witch though his fate in the annuals was listed as miscellaneous which usually means there's like some other outcome like you know he died in prison or he escaped or some other thing happened and then additionally patrick adamson who was a scottish what's called a scottish divine that's basically an archbishop he was considered very reverend and was called the most reverend Mm -hmm. so he and the curate of anstruther were accused though both of their fates are also unknown 
So I really would be interested to see if they ended up getting out of this because of their station and because of their religious hierarchy, I guess. But I don't really see anything about it, so. Strange. Because, yeah, you definitely think, like, people of that caliber, at least, like, in the the church, would not have been, like, killed. But you never know. They were kind of brutal when it came to witch trials, so. John Knox, the Scottish theologian, was said to be in attendance at one witch trial in particular. At this witch trial, he preached against the woman who was on trial. The woman allegedly would not forgive a man who had done her wrong and professed she did not care if she went to heaven or hell. And they searched her for a witch's mark. And it said they found a white cloth with knotted strings in between her legs. And specifically, the excerpt says... Quote, there is a white cloth like a collar craig with strings in between her legs, whereon was many knots upon the strings of the said collar craig. End quote. And I have translated that into somewhat modern English from non-modern Scottish English. Yeah. So a collar craig is supposed to be some kind of neck collar, I guess, because a craig is supposed to be the word for the neck of a human or an animal. So it's some type of either like a cloth collar or some type of collar that goes around a neck. Anyways, this woman was fine until they apparently found this thing tied between her legs, upon which she fought them and didn't want them to take. And when they finally did, she professed, quote, now I have no hope of myself, end quote. And she was accordingly condemned and executed. And honestly, the first thing I thought of when I was reading this trial transcript was honestly that it sounded like some sort of early version of, like, I don't know, either, like, a pad or a tampon or, like, even maybe lingerie or something. It reminded me of how in Outlander, she goes back to the past, spoiler alert, and I was like, what if she had been wearing lingerie or something? And then she transports it back to the past. I'm like, did this woman time travel? But in all actuality, it sounds like there's some type of white cloth that has strings that's tied between her legs. To me, it sounds like an early version of a pad or something to help with, like, a period or, I don't know, hygiene, anything like that, but... That's exactly um, what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that's what came to mind as well. That was my first thought. But all of the male historians that have interpreted this, they interpreted it as, quote, some kind of animal neck wrapped in cloth and tied with many knotted strings, end quote, simply because the word Craig could refer to a human or animal neck, but... In my opinion, I'm like, this just sounds like some type of sanitation or, like, pad yeah. or period device to me, but... Man, I feel like that's just very much a problem with, like, historians, archaeologists, that kind of thing, is that I think sometimes people want things to be, like, this really complicated or, like, interesting thing, right? Yeah. Like, when they find some kind of, like, object or you know record of an object or something like that they're like oh it's got to be something really weird and unusual and then it's like no it's a tampon yeah exactly <laughs> it's just a tampon. the funny thing is like when she says now i have no hope of myself i'm wondering if like she literally was like these people just took my pad great <laughs> it yeah. wasn't even related to her being a witch or anything it was just like great they I, just it can't get worse like what <laughs> But yeah, I think there needs to be a lot more nuance and, you know, diverse opinions in archaeological, <laughs> anthropological, historical fields, because, you know, you have all these men thinking it's some type of voodoo affected thing. 
which yeah. is problematic in its own way because Vodun has been like wrongly vilified. But as a woman reading this, we're like, pad, tampon, it's bad, uh, underwear, <laughs> something like, um, yeah. So then we have the burning of Patrick Hamilton. And he, Patrick Hamilton, was a Scottish churchman and an early Protestant. If you don't know, Scotland is super Presbyterian, while the rest of, well, England then is Anglican. So lots of Protestants in this story, I guess. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Hamilton became convinced at a young age that Martin Luther's teachings were from the Bible, and he was just very converted by Protestantism. So he, he, you know, was really a, like, true believer. But... St. Andrews was the center of Roman Catholicism in Scotland back then, and so the Archbishop, James Beaton, was determined to have him tried for heresy, and Beaton and fellow accusers allowed Hamilton to preach openly in the university for about a month, hoping that Hamilton would give them more evidence against himself, but ironically, many important people were converted instead, which is, that's just so funny and such a great story. Love it. Essentially, this whole event of him ironically converting people was adding fuel to the fire, to make a pun. And on the 29th of February in 1528, Hamilton was summoned for trial. Although, again, we say trial very facetiously. And because he refused to deny his beliefs, he was sentenced to be burnt at the stake that very same day for being a heretic through accepting the false doctrines of Protestantism. And the 20-year-old's death was very slow and painful because the fire that they were lighting to burn him kept going out. And the fire was lit at noon, but he burned off and on until 6 p.m., so over six hours. And at one point, gunpowder was even placed under Hamilton's arms, causing severe injury to his hands and to his face, but the flames still continued to rise, so... A lot of horrific suffering on his part. Yeah. That's like the universe telling them this guy is, like, innocent. Exactly. But this is, like, a stupid reason to kill somebody. I mean, but we don't listen to signs from God unless they're fitting our agenda, so. Yeah, (laughs) super true. (laughs) Um, A scorched likeness to his face is said to have been burned into the stone of the tower he was facing while being burned alive. And visitors are told to look up at his ghostly image. Some students at St. Andrews say they have experienced the sound of crackling and the smell of burning flesh near Hamilton's execution site. And And my question there is, how do they know what burning flesh smells like? I mean, I think you can can pretty much surmise in some shape or form. I mean, it's going (laughs) to smell like meat roasting, but... True. Like, in an acrid sense. I don't know. But last night, I went to this area, and I was, like, everyone was, like, looking at me. Because I was looking up at this tower, trying to figure out where his ghostly image is, his face. And I couldn't really see anything. To be fair, it was getting dark. So I'm going to look again today. I'll try to take a photo of it or try to find photos online that we'll post on Instagram. But I personally didn't see it. I have also walked across the spot where he's said to have been burnt and i have not gotten really any vibes or anything so um i have yet to smell the burning flesh or hear crackling but there's always hope in the future i guess yeah i don't really got a lot of time experience left to that but 
<laughs> Anyways, his last words before he finally died were, quote, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, end quote. And he is regarded as Scotland's first martyr of the Reformation. His death truly was a turning point. Archbishop Beaton was advised that if he had to burn any more heretics, he should do it in deep cellars so that nobody would know. Because the reek of Mr. Patrick Hamilton has infected as many as it blew upon. That's a quote. Throughout Scotland, as people heard about his death, they began to ask, why did this happen? And so the teaching of God's word, instead of dying, it actually started to spread. I'm happy that his death was not in vain because so often yeah. in martyr's death, even if it is in some way revolutionary, it doesn't usually result in a lot of change, which is what's sad. But Patrick Hamilton has quite the legacy in St. Andrews and in the university. St. Andy's students traditionally avoid stepping on the monogram of Hamilton's initials, PH, outside of St. Salvatore's Chapel, which is just outside where I'm recording and they avoid stepping on it for fear of being cursed and failing their final exams. To lift the curse, students have to participate in the annual May Dip, which is where they run into the North Sea at 5 p.m. or 5 a.m. Not sure. 5 a.m., I think. To wash away their sins and any bad luck they accrued by doing that. And (laughs) I will unfortunately be participating in that as I have walked over the PH many times. (laughs) And I don't want to do the opposite or the other thing that will apparently save you, which is you have to strip naked and you have to run backwards three times around this quad that I showed you earlier. I will not be doing that. So instead, I will plunge my body into the Arctic North Sea. It's a spooky polar dip. A spooky polar Polar dip. Polar plunge. I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm hoping I can wear my wetsuit so it won't be too bad. But we'll see. You have a wetsuit? I do. I purchased a wetsuit so that I could go swimming here. Cause that makes sense. I really like I mean, the ocean. The beach, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an ocean girly, but not enjoying the extreme cold. So Yeah, I was going to say, it's not warm water, ever. It works really ever. well, because when I went to... I just traveled to Isle of Skye, and mm-hmm. when I was there, I swam in the fairy pools, which are these <gasps> mountain-fed... I want to do that so bad. Yeah. You know, all parts of me were fine except for my hands and my feet, which were cold. Uh Like, the water was 16 degrees Fahrenheit, not Celsius. Anyways, so that is the story of Patrick Hamilton and all the superstition that still accompanies his name here in St. Andrews. Moving on to another very important aspect of St. Andrews is the St. Andrews Cathedral. And this is actually directly across from where I live. And that's... Again, both fortunate and unfortunate because it's beautiful, but at the same time, I'm very scared of looking over there at night. And (laughs) it has witnessed many terrifying events as well over the centuries, having been built, I think originally it was built in 1130. So very, very old. Wow. That's crazy. When I was in England, it was 10 years ago, we went to Salisbury Cathedral and I think that one was built in maybe the 1400s I want to say maybe the 1300s and that was just unbelievable that that was that old you know I can't even imagine it being like a couple hundred years older that's crazy well it's even crazy whenever I'm living in the house I am now it was literally built almost 400 years before America became a nation that's which crazy. is insane to me. Yeah. When you come to Europe, just the, the span of time, everything is a lot older. It's kind of really like reorients your thinking, I guess, especially historically. But 
Yeah. yeah. Like one of my uh, favorite places that we went on that trip was we went to Bath and you can literally go to the old like Roman baths there. And of course that's like thousands of years old. It's like a thousand years old. <laughs> so old. And then like next to it is this medieval church. Yeah. And it's just really, and then of course there's like modern stuff there too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just so, so cool to be surrounded by that kind of history because y- you can literally see the eras of Great Britain. And it's really. relatively close to Stonehenge as well, which is its own yeah. set of like absolutely insane historical precedents. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So once the largest church in Scotland, the Cathedral of St. Andrews, what, or well, blah, blah, blah. The Cathedral of St. Andrew was destroyed and turned into ruins during the Scottish Reformation. Luckily, parts of the ancient cathedral were saved, and the haunted history lives on in the structure today. It's completely open to wander through the ruins from around dawn till dusk, where you can walk amongst the resting places of the graveyard and admire the remnants of the past. I have yet to actually discover like climbed to the top of St. Rule's Tower, which I didn't know you could do until researching yesterday. So I have added that to the, my bucket list of St. Andrew's things to do. Yeah, so the haunted St. Rule's Tower is surrounded by the graveyard at St. Andrew's Cathedral, and it's connected to a shadowed past. In the 12th century, Robert de Montrose was the prior at St. Andrew's Cathedral. And although he was widely regarded as a very good man, he did have to discipline a few misbehaving monks, you know, as we all do. And one badly behaved monk didn't like being punished and apparently decided to seek revenge by murdering Robert and tossing his body over the edge of St. Rolls Tower, which sounds like this guy shouldn't have been a monk. That's what I said. I was like, like sir, uh, my guy, do you realize what monkhood is? So today, the ghost of a monk thought to be Robert can be found lurking in the stairway that leads up to the top of St. Rule's Tower. His ghost is often spotted being tossed over the parapet and fading out of view as it falls from the tower, almost like a reenactment of his death. That is so freaky. If I ever see that, I probably will, like, yeet myself off the tower, too. (laughs) Well, like, one of the tales I asked just general locals around St. Andrew's, um, just a few that I know, a few that I just was randomly like, hey, you want to tell me a ghost story? Because that's that's how you get to know friends and, and good people. But And one lady said that she actually saw this one time, and she thought that someone had leapt from the tower. So she called, and she was like, someone just jumped off of St. Rule's Tower. And they're like, okay, well, can you go and report what the injuries are? And she gets over there, and there's no one around. Absolutely no one. But then her friend had seen the same thing from a different part of the cathedral grounds. So, like, she was backed up and everything. And it turns out that over the past 20 years, they get this call pretty regularly. And they have to come out and investigate it in case it actually is a person jumping to their deaths. But it never has been. There's always, like, no That's crazy. So... Anyways, he's a nice ghost, though. This is what I like. He is a nice ghost. Just like he was in life, he is also nice in death. And he actually helps guide people inside the tower, ensuring they remain safe and don't end up going over the edge as he did. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. It's like, even in death, he's he's being a good prior. Exactly. In the 1940s, a visitor to St. Andrews was climbing St. Rule's Tower to take in the view. 
It was daytime, but the inside of the tower was poorly lit. He stumbled in the dark and looked up to see the partly shaded figure of a man wearing a cassock standing a few steps above him. The monk-like figure spoke kindly and offered his arm and assistance, but the visitor politely declined and, you know, just continued up the stairs. And it was only when this visitor came back down again and spoke to the tower's custodian that he realized that he, what he might have seen and then recalled, like, he hadn't even felt anything as he brushed past the man on the stairs. Oh, weird. And these are very, very tight, narrow stairs. Like, these are yeah. built in, I don't even know, like very very long ago a thousand years ago um, yeah. and so he felt nothing while squeezing past him but he didn't even think of it until later um and the custodian told this man that um he'd admitted no one else to the tower and had seen no one else emerge from it so had to have been good old robert this one's scary. so now we have <laughs> the white lady ghost the haunted St. Rule's Tower at St. Andrew's Cathedral is home to yet another particularly prominent ghostly presence, the White Lady. The White Lady is often seen roaming the area of St. Andrew's Cathedral and St. Rule's Tower in a long white dress and gloves and is regarded as being amongst the most well-known of the St. Andrew's Cathedral ghosts. And reports of the White Lady sightings go as far back as the 1800s when she was often said to scare passers-by with her luminous body. And she can often be seen waving a handkerchief from a window at St. Rule's Tower, which is the same one that Robert frequents. Because of the eerie sense of dread, which apparently fills the atmosphere around the tower at night, most people tend to steer clear of the area after sunset to avoid coming face-to-face with the ghost in the white dress. And you actually cannot even get into the cemetery after dusk, so unless they like somehow hop the fence, which is apparently a thing. I'm sure it is. And they want us to do that on Halloween, and I'm like... Maybe not. You're um, like, do I want to get in trouble in a foreign country? <laughs> not even that. I'm like, do I want to see hmm. a ghost? No. Oh. No. I will leave that Our to my mother. Our priorities are so different. I will see, leave that to my mother, to my grandfather, to my grandmother. I am happily in the dark. Other sources wonder if she is one of the plague victims who appears at the haunted St. Rule's Tower because it was part of the abbey wall that was used in 1605 to dispose of the bodies of plague victims. It was sealed in 1868. Several years later, sightings of a figure in a flowing white robe with white gloves have been regular. The figure walks the grounds of St. Andrew's Cathedral, waves her handkerchief from the window at St. Rule's Tower, and walks the nearby shoreline, most often seen in the winter months. And even more disturbingly, the haunted St. Rule's Tower hides a sealed crypt that was called the Chamber of Corpses by the Victorians, where ten well-preserved mummified bodies were discovered in a number of coffins. Unnervingly, One of these bodies was a perfect match for the white lady often seen haunting the premises, and it was mummified remains of a small, thin young woman with dark hair, carefully wrapped in silk fabrics and wearing white gloves. Mm. And the white lady is actually said to detest visitors to her lair, so she doesn't like people coming into that area or perhaps even St. Rose Tower. Interesting. But you got Robert looking out for you, so we'll fight her for you. I want Robert and the white lady to have, like, a little enemies-to-lovers romance. Okay, okay. You know, where she is like, I don't want visitors, and he he does, and 
you know, he's like really nice and accommodating and she's just like, get out of my tower, all of these stupid living people. <laughs> but eventually like, they I fall just, in I love. just want my space. Others report that the white lady was the victim of a grave robber and the spirit of this noble woman wanders the earth seeking her body to lay to rest. She appears mostly on dark stormy nights by the square tower in the Priory Wall. And despite this little urban legend, the corpses are actually believed to have belonged to local Celtic saints from as far back as a thousand years ago. So wow. that's really interesting. I want to research that more, actually. I'm planning on, on going to a, an archive to look at that, actually. But There is yet another tale of a black-veiled ghost of a nun that is seen if you go through the pens, which is a pair of 14th century arches, and head down the little lane known as Nun's Walk. It leads to the Church of St. Leonard and features in one of the most famous ghost stories of St. Andrews. The Veiled Nun is believed to be the ghost of a woman who, this kind of varies, either lost the love of her life to death, was rejected by the love of her life, or she rejected the love of her life. There's a lot of varying tales of it. I was trying to encompass all of them and it was hard. No (laughs) one's sure of the actual story, but the commonality is that because of this, she ended up slicing up her beautiful face out of anger and heartbreak, perhaps, because she no longer desired the love or admiration of anyone else. And so when she did this, she cut off her nose, her ears, and her eyelids, and then taking a branding iron, she seared her cheeks. And after this self-mutilation, she apparently became a nun and committed herself to God and took the habit and unfortunately she did end up dying of her injuries shortly after this um yeah i would definitely say she died of her injuries right after that because i can't imagine those not getting infected (laughs) since then however people have claimed to have seen a dark figure heavily veiled and sometimes holding a lamp emerging from behind a tree in this lane if you look to the left of the photo that we're going to post on Instagram, you can see the stump, which is all that's left of the tree now. Oh, that's so sad. And encountering the veiled nun of St. Leonard's was regarded as a sign of ill omen. And if she drew aside her heavy black veil and actually showed you her mutilated face, the unfortunate spectator was said to be doomed to die within the year. I hate spooky stuff like this, yeah. where it's like foreshadows your death or whatever, because... I'm like, what if I saw that? Ew. Well, the first no. tale I have from my friend is about this, so no. we'll get into it. An urban legend has arisen with students of St. Andrews as well. It is said that if she beckons you over and you obey, she will lift her black veil to reveal such a hideous face that it will drive anyone who views her insane. This myth is kept popular because in the early 1960s, a student from St. Andrews University is reputed to have seen the figure. When she beckoned to him, he went across to her as if in a trance. She pulled back her black veil to reveal her face to the student who instantly went mad. He was found slumped over stones in the morning, saying, The nun, over and over again. He was taken to a nearby mental institution where he remained all of his life. Hence, the nun walk. So, the story I actually have from one of my flatmates who lives with me To be fair, I have to preface this with some facts of the situation. She had been smoking weed, and she was not wearing her contacts, and it was 1 a.m. in the morning. I get this text, SOS, please help. I'm like, oh my god, what's wrong? So I go out because she has left her keys in the garden, 
and she thought she saw something and she wanted, you know, someone to walk with her to go get her keys in the garden. So by the time I get out there, she's like, thanks for coming. Like, I just, I, I don't have my contacts and I can't see anything, etc." And I'm like, okay, are you, are you going to tell me what you saw? Like, are you <laughs> like skipping over this? And this girl is crazy because when she can't sleep, she gets up and paces in front of the ruins at like 2 a.m. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, girl, there's so many things wrong with this. So she was doing that and she was walking and apparently around the corner she saw this like black figure shadow and it moved by the wall and then like moved into the shadows of the wall. She said it looked real like a person and that was like her experience and we live about I would say half a block down from St. Leonard's Walk. I actually live directly across from St. Leonard's. I can look out and see the the building from my window so I'm thinking it might have been that. It obviously could have also been just a shadow. It could have been someone walking who concealed themselves in the shadows because they wanted to do something and she turned around and they didn't get that chance or whatever. could have been a lot of stuff, especially taking into account that there was uh, some weed involved and some contactless eyes involved, but felt like I had to tell you even though there's not any confirmed accounts or anything, but I don't know. It just sounds she similar to... The nun, so yeah, that is my <laughs> thing. To make things even more macabre and to keep your feelings of paranoia alive while at the pens, you should know about the tale of a white angel statue that keeps a watchful eye over the eastern cemetery. So, this statue, which sits against a wall atop of the hill, is said to fly around in search of victims to strangle the life out of. While you're there, if you take a close look at her right hand, you'll actually see residue of dirt that makes it appear as though her hand has moved and strangled multiple people. No, this is a weeping angel. I don't like her. It's giving Doctor Who. (laughs) It is. I would like to not be around her. I've never seen this, actually. You know, personally, I have a hard time not blinking, and so I don't think I need to be around her. I don't. I can go quite a long time without blinking but it's kind of disconcerting because i'll just go without blinking and my eyes will well (laughs) with tears and the tears will just like trek down my face because like my eyes are dry yeah it's disconcerting so creepy to speak about another nice ghosty we can talk about young tom morris so st andrews links to the game of golf are pretty legendary we had to include a ghost story related to the town's famous old course which is kind of what it's known for my dad gets most excited about the fact that i live in the town with the old course like i think when i told him i was applying here he was like oh golf my dad has the same thing he's like st andrews apparently a phantom golfer haunts the bunkers and fairways at st andrews old course But rather than being a wicked, malevolent spirit, he's said to be quite helpful. So tales have been told of a ghostly figure that helps local golfers locate and retrieve their stray balls from the rough. The ghost is understood to be a manifestation of 19th century golfer young Tom Morris, who from the age of just 17 won the Open Championship an incredible four times in a row. Young Tom Morris suffered a pretty tragic end. In 1875, he was returning home from a golfing trip, and he discovered his wife and baby had died in labor. Devastated, the golfing legend was found dead just four months later, having suffered a heart attack at just 24 years old. 
So that's so sad. Quite the sad story, but a pretty happy afterlife. So less developed, but still worthy of mentioning, is that four specific flats in the center of St. Andrews have submitted multiple reports over the years of ghosts of monks on the second and third floors. It turns out that the flats were built from old cathedral stone, what is often described as memory imprints from earlier times. So essentially because the stone from the cathedral was used in these houses, often because people would literally grab chunks of stone to bring home to build their houses. So it's apparently like the ghosts are attached to the stone, and so that's why they show up. But I think it's funny just imagining people going in like, oh, these are ruins, I'll just take these stones and bring them back to their house and constructing their little cottage or whatever home, (laughs) and then suddenly they wake up at like 3 a.m. and there's just a ghost standing over them like, chanting benedictine chants or something right (laughs) i think it's really funny other reports of ghosts in town include a phantom coach and horse in church street seen as recently as two days before i wrote this script in broad daylight wow yeah it was actually reported in one of the local student newspapers so that was pretty cool there's also the similar Strathkinis Road ghost. At Strathkinis Road, people have seen a ghostly image of an old-fashioned coach pilled by four large black horses. It is thought that this phantom is the assassinated Archbishop of St. Andrews, James Sharp, who we discussed a lot earlier. Yes. The Fairmont Hotel, which opened as the St. Andrews Bay Golf Resort and Spa in 2001, also has quite a few haunted phenomena. Clark Doherty, who worked there for 10 years from 2000 to 2010, has a lot of staff, ghost, and poltergeist experiences. Reports included ghost sightings of a man and boy, the sound of two children laughing, and unusual activity such as human-shaped imprint appearing on fresh bed sheets and chocolates going missing from trays beside the beds. And that's literally so sweet because I think it's like the kids, but unfortunately like the nice part kind of ruins that the most likely scenario to explain such things is that in 1958 a mother murdered her husband and her two children at a nearby house called king ask house she blasted them all in the head with a shotgun before committing suicide herself lady which is so often the case with ghost stories is there's always so much underlying trauma and horror and tragedy that goes into so many of these experiences So when we do get to talk about a nice ghost, it's always sad because they're usually nice but didn't have such a great end or had a rough life or what have you. But it makes me somewhat happy that the children are having a good time eating the chocolates. Just enjoying life. Kind of like mischievous. Yeah. Very this is how we're gonna live our afterlife and have fun. So But yeah. So those are the varying and numerous tales of the ghosts of St. Andrews. There's definitely so many more. I was reading a book recently that said there's at least 300 plus ghost figures or phenomena seen, and we only covered a few of them, but we did cover quite a few of the most famous ones and the scariest ones, in my opinion. So that none. Not a fan of her. I know. And it's also <laughs> scary say. because it's like your figures. worst nightmare. Yeah. It's like uh, <laughs> mom from Coraline moment. But um Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I love that movie though. For the most part, I feel pretty safe here in terms of like paranormal experiences. 
only one time have I ever felt like really uncomfortable while being in St. Andrews. And it was, we had gotten the rental car and we had come back like late at night and I was parked in the parking area and my back was to the ruins. And I kept looking over my shoulder. I was like, why do you keep looking over your shoulder? You literally have seen how many horror movies you're not supposed to look. But I swear, like, I just kept feeling someone there or someone looking. I just knew someone was there or, like, going to come up behind me or something like that. It was such a weird feeling. I hate that feeling. I know. And, I mean, nothing really happened, but I was, like, holding on to my necklace for dear life. I was like... Just don't acknowledge it. Just yeah. get your wetsuit and all your crap and make it in one go because you don't want to come Just back run. out to the car at night. Run. So yeah, <laughs> that's basically what happened. But my freshman year of college, first round, I was at a tiny like private school and it was like really old. Well, at least like by American standards, and was like pre Civil War. Lol, by American uh, at least standards. one of the buildings was. <laughs> and yeah, and so. It was definitely the kind of place where at night there was kind of, it was like very quiet. Nobody was really around except for like, you know, a few passing cars and everything. And I, back then I was a music major. And so I would go practice a lot at night because I hated, I hated practicing when other people could hear me. Yeah, of course. So I would go when no one else was there. And it was always a little bit creepy, like walking from my dorm across campus to that building. And it wasn't even a far walk, but I always just got, like, a little spooked out. And yeah. I think so much of that was because it was supposed to be, like, a haunted campus. You know? Like, I think that if I was walking around, like, where I go now, I wouldn't be creeped out at all. I would just be like, eh, la-di-da-da-da. Yeah. I mean, it's also hard for me to differentiate because so much of my existence is just being anxious for no reason. Same. <laughs> so, mentally ill-wise and just being a female in today's world, I'm just very aware, very anxious, very paranoid mm-hmm. some would say yeah but constantly on guard so i don't know to what extent that played into everything definitely gonna be walking around st andrews scared as crap now but it's all for you guys so yeah i made the sacrifice as per usual you can find us anywhere you listen to podcast we'll also be uploaded to riverside as well now and you can also follow us anywhere that you listen to podcasts and give us a five or four star rating yeah we are on all the social medias. They're all Wicked Weird and Grim, except for Twitter, which is Wicked Weird Grim. Yeah, and then you can always leave us a voice message on Anchor. We love when you guys do that. More recently, someone commented and said that the toy they would bring for Timmy would be the Battleship game, which I thought was so cute. Oh, um, that's such a good yeah, idea. I think, I think Anna said that she would bring the battleship game and play with him which is really cute and then let me check i think robert said that he would bring uno so (laughs) i think that's really cute i I like that that. you guys are playing with timmy and not just passively giving him something i like that yeah it's really sweet the interaction i like that we all like timmy everybody there's like a universal agreement that of course everyone loves timmy And we also got quite a few DMs or messages about us naming the creeper. So they were like, yeah, um, it, it made him a lot less scary. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That, that's what we do. We, we tame it's, the ghosts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's power in names. There really is. Ricardo. <laughs> but yeah, that was our uh, feedback on the last episode. So keep it coming, awesome. you guys. We always enjoy yeah. hearing your takes. 
let us know if you've ever been to St. Andrews, if you plan on coming, if you yes. have heard of any of these people before. You might have heard of Patrick Hamilton or maybe some of the archbishops, that kind of thing. But yeah, let us know what you think of the new hometown that I have and what you would do in my case. We also have a Patreon and we have our stickers and some of our mugs up for merch now, which is really fun. And it just has our little logo on it. And then on the bottom, it says stay wicked, weird and grim. So you can order those if you would like and you can donate to support us in our podcast and producing content because we do everything ourselves and we would be really appreciative if you could drop anything that you have, be it a comment, be it money. We would love to hear from you guys on iTunes. You can leave us a wonderful five-star review and yeah, that would just make us really happy. So please do that. You can do the same on Spotify and follow us. Yes. And subscribe to us. Yeah, and with that, we will leave you, and you can hear us next Wicked Weird Wednesday with the Grim Sisters. Bye, guys. Bye. I waved. I waved as well. Yes, we both waved. Both waving now. And there's a bird cawing ominously right outside the window. John, I keep. I feel like before every paragraph, I keep going, so. <laughs> so, just so you so. know. The Scottish theologian was theologian. Uh, said to what theologian oh <laughs> i only know that word because of catholicism so theology or... why theologian the scott doc doc till dusk ever i'm so sorry <laughs> at first iconic. i was like what from doc till dusk oh man you were like getting ahead of yourself all right oh, wait, we have to do our closing lol i was yes, like bye whoops okay um let's see if we can remember this well we always remember it but okay um it's it's rocky